Over the last four months, we've been going through the book of Joshua, and we're not starting it over. That, that series is done, but we were talking about how to follow God's leading and studying how God led the children of Israel, a different people at a different time, but the same God. So how did He lead them? And we'd like to talk for the next few weeks of how then does God lead His church? And our theme for the year is, is Be God's Church, Build God's Church. And so we'd like to take a, a little six-week series here and look at some of our core values of the church and, and look at just church in general. Why did God even create the church? The church is something that through Christ's work on the cross and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christ initiated at the day of Pentecost. And the question this morning is why? And, and I'd like to approach it a couple different ways, but I'd like to start with a question to you. Why do you love the church? Why do you love God's church? And I'm not necessarily speaking of village. I'm speaking of the church as a whole, the universal church, which consists of all believers since the day of Pentecost till now, till when Christ returns, that have, that have met together and gathered together. Why do you love the church? This is a time of interaction. Okay, absolutely. So feeling connected to a stranger who's a Christian even more connected at times to a family member who's an unbeliever because there's something about that connection in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Anyone else? What was that? Accountability. Accountability. Absolutely. True accountability about things that matter that you may not get elsewhere. So God's creation shines as as light, but people shine even brighter because the world needs the light. The The world needs the light. Absolutely. Okay, fellowship in Christ with other believers that we have something in common with. Encouragement and support that comes as the church, when the church acts as God's church. Anyone else? One more. A place where we can serve for a purpose. So a place where there can be true significance. Absolutely. Okay, now I don't have to preach today. Um, what, what I want to talk about today is why, why I love God's church. And, and not just to share with you why I love God's church, but I want you to love God's church. I want us all to love this bride that God has created for His purpose. And so I think that's a great way to start a little mini-series on the church, is to talk about why we love the church, why we should love the church. Last week, um, Mark and I were coming to church, and I, I hadn't been in a while, so not for those that, that haven't that don't know me, it's not that I was skipping church. We were on vacation and then some illness and, and just a variety of things that kept us away for about a month. And, and Mark and I are coming to church last week because each week I usually bring one of our children with us and we rotate with me early and we rotate through and we get some hot chocolate at Cafe Village and different things. And he had been sick as well, so he hadn't been to church in a month. And, and we're driving down 9th Street and sort of just bouncing a little bit. And, and I, I'm like, son, what, what, what's going on? He goes, I'm excited. I'm like, I am too. And we, we get to go to church today. And he goes, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to get to church. And, and for the next five minutes, we just asked the question, well, why, why are you excited about going to church? And, and we, we were talking about how much we missed the body here and how much we missed just being with fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ and how much we missed worshiping together with you. And, 
it, it was it was one of those days where it wasn't that I was going back to work after a month off that oh man you got to go back to work after vacation it was like I get to go be with God's people I get to go be with God's precious church and I was thinking about that and 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 that thinking about this series and we'd be talking about the church and why the church and what God intends for the church but what were we missing because Quite frankly, we weren't missing the building. It wasn't like, oh, that air conditioning is going to be so nice. That never even came up. It wasn't that, oh, the, the, um, the, the bathrooms are going to be great and convenient and the coffee is going to be wonderful. We were missing God's people. And we were missing what God is doing through His people. And so this morning, I want to talk about why I love God's church. And a couple of just thoughts at the beginning. Um, and, and most of this, I hope, is like, like, like we sometimes do. Most of this introduction today is, I hope, a review and a reminder. A reminder to us to love God's church. It's so easy to be critical, isn't it? Not just of the church, but of people, of work, of, of anything. We, we can be so critical, but today, I want to remind us that we're to love God's church. But a couple of thoughts. The first is the church is a people, not a place. The church is a people, not a place. Like I said, we were missing you, not this building. I think of, of Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 as, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's talking about marriage, but he's also comparing it to Christ in the church and Christ's love for the church. Listen to this, and we'll come back to this a couple times. Husbands, love your wives... Amen, wives? Amen. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. And we see a picture of how much God loves the church, Christ loves the church, but let me ask this, is that a people or a place? When Jesus says, I love the church. I gave myself up for her that I might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the Word. That's a people, isn't it? He doesn't do that for this building. He does that for you and for me. But more than just a collection of people, the church is a new community that God instituted and created through salvation. It's a new community. And that word community, we'll talk about that in about three weeks that word community, though, is, is one of fellowship, of coming together, partnership. It's more than just a group of 200 people that happen to be sitting in the same room watching some guy come back from vacation and talk in front of you. That's not what church is. The church is a community, a bonding, a fellowship, a family of believers. The key there is that it's through salvation. In 1 John 1.3, we read, that which we have seen and we heard, we proclaim also to you that so you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So the church is a people, not a place, but it's a community that has fellowship, koinonia together, because we have fellowship with God. And so we want to really be, pay, be particular in our wording this morning and at times I'll say the church, which refers to the church as a whole. At times I'll say this church, which refers to village. And I'll use them interchangeably because 
quite frankly, when I think of what I love about the church as a whole, I see so many of those things at Village and experience them here. And so I love this church too. And, and just commend you for being examples of what God said to do and to be. But also, I really prefer the term God's church. Because it's easy to say this is my church, or this is Phil's church, or Joe's church, or Jack's church, or whoever's. But this is God's church. Because He, by His blood, paid the price to bring every one of us here this morning. Now one of the implications of that is that this is a place of community for those who believe. And so this morning, I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to those of you that have chosen to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ because He died on the cross for your sins, in payment for your sins. If you're here this morning and you have never done that, then the discussion of church doesn't apply to you because you're not part of that fellowship of believers, but you can be. You can be in a moment by believing and accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. But this is God's church, a gathering of believers. In fact, in the New Testament, the word most often used 109 times for church is um, ecclesia, which in secular terms meant to be called out to an assembly or to a gathering. But in the New Testament, it came to stand for the church and it was a gathering of people with a shared belief. And it had the idea of community. And so when we see words in the New Testament like church or like household, we see an aspect of coming together as believers, as a community, as God's church. So why do I love God's church? Before I get into the seven things, and you're probably looking at the clock already, seven things, okay, we're going to try to move pretty quickly. And, and I've put verses in your notes that you we're not going to study in depth this morning, but we're going to do a survey of them. But before, I, before we even dive into the seven, I just need to say up front, I know that God's church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I know that I don't exemplify every one of these seven every time I come because I'm a sinful, fallen creature that's saved by the grace of God. And so when I share these things, you might be tempted to say, well, that's not church some days. And you're right. It's not. Because by the grace of God, we are all growing. And it's a reminder to me that we're working on being God's church and we're striving for these things. And so as I went through my seven, and there were a lot more, but I narrowed it down to seven and talked with the elders a little bit, got some of their input. But as I go through these seven, on each one, be thinking, A, how can I look for that in God's church? B, how can I be that in God's church? Because these represent what God intended for His church. First reason why I love God's church. The church has been created by God for mission. The church has been created by God for mission, and I love working together. Some of that's my personality. I, I really enjoy cooperating and coming together. But really, when I see God's church, and when I see God's people coming together for His purposes, there is just an incredible awe to see what God could accomplish. When I see people coming together to work for God's cause rather than our own, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And when God created the church, He created us for His purpose, for a mission 
to accomplish His work. And so when I, when I think of the mission of the church, I think of, okay, what are the tasks God gave the church? What is the broad, overarching reason He created the church? And this is a little bit of how my mind works, so, so bear with me. I, I think, okay, why are we still here? Why did God leave us on earth? Because what if God did it a different way? And, and, and I don't want to be sacrilegious here, but again, this is my thought process. What if right when we're saved, God raptures us up into heaven? Wouldn't that be cool? Just take us out of this Genesis 3 world. No more trouble. We can worship better there. We can, we can praise Him. We can have better fellowship there in perfection. And so you, what you'd have is when someone comes to Christ, just poof, they're gone. Well, that'd be pretty cool. But why didn't God do that? And, and I know it may be a silly thought process, but for me... Part of that thought process is he leaves us here in this fallen, depraved, needy, lost world because he still has work for us to do. He still has a job for us to do. In fact, we know that from scriptures when he says that our days are numbered and he knows the beginning and the end and that we are created for good works in advance from all eternity. And so God has a purpose for us individually, but he has a purpose for his church. And so I, I want to take maybe 15, 20 minutes here and talk about what that is, sort of an aside to what I love about the church, to what is the mission of the church? It's great to love that we have a mission and that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And, and as Johanna said, that gives significance. It's something that we can strive for because it means something. We can be part of God's plan to change the world. But what is that plan? What is the mission of the church? And I'd like to just go through a few verses. The first one is go through some of Jesus' last words or, or nearly last words on earth because those are very instructive into the instructions He was leaving for His disciples and for the church. I'm calling these His commissions. We have the, the great commission that we usually talk about in Matthew 28. But Luke has some final words. Acts has some final words. John has some final words. So what did Jesus say to the church? And this helps us understand what we should do, what we're to be about. So let's look through some of these. Start with Matthew 28, 18-20, the, the Great Commission. So if you turn there, Matthew 28, 18-20. And, and we come onto the scene right at the, the end of Jesus' time at earth and he's on earth and He's giving His disciples some final instructions, some marching orders that they're to continue on His work. And we read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." And this is a passage we've taught before, but, but just a good reminder that the verb here, the command here is to make disciples. And then you have three modifiers of that or participles that say how you're to do that. And so make disciples is the command. And he says, go therefore, or as you're going. And so we know that we're to go and to go out and to start where we are as we're going, but then to, to make disciples beyond that to the nations it says. And then it says to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And that for them would have referred to salvation and bringing them into the church. To be baptized was to become almost like our membership, a member of the church, because they accepted Christ. And then verse 20, to teach. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is the process of discipleship or ongoing sanctification and transformation into Christ-likeness. And so Jesus said, you want some marching orders? Here it is. Make disciples. How do you do that? Win people to Christ. Teach them how to walk with God. Pretty simple, isn't it? And that's the marching orders that He gave to His people. In this case, to His disciples. And a number of things have been written over time. Well, was this just for the disciples? Is this for the church? How do we know? But... but the passage actually answers that for us. Because in verse 20, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. What's the next phrase? To the end of the age. So Jesus puts a time frame on this command. Okay? So when should we, when should we obey this? When does it end? The end of the age. And for them, that would have meant when Christ returns. And so we know that that the the disciples aren't still alive. But this is a command for His church because it is to carry on to the end of the age. Another way we know that this is for us is just the command itself to make disciples. And, And that command means to make a copy of yourself. To replicate. Sorry, that's a Star Trek term. To um to reproduce. There we go. <laughs> so our Trekkies out there, you get what I was saying. Um, to reproduce, to make disciples. And so people would come alongside the rabbi and they would live with the rabbi and they would copy everything about the rabbi's life. Okay, so if Jesus says your primary task is to make disciples, to make a copy of yourself, what's the primary task of the copy? To make disciples. Same thing, because it's a copy. Then, then they make disciples. And what's the primary task of that? Copy. To make disciples. On to where we are today. And so this command has to be for the church. Because Jesus tells us when it ends, and the nature of the command demands that we continue the work. This is about Jesus' heart. And in this passage, we see who. And we see that Jesus is talking to His disciples and by extension His church. We see what they're to do. Make disciples. We see the target eventually of all nations. We see how long until Christ returns. We see the empowering by God. As He says, all authority has been given to Me and I will be with you always. And so, Jesus' final words to the disciples help us understand the mission of the church. But it's not just that one verse. Turn over to Luke 24, 46 to 49. Luke 24, 46 to 49. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And so Jesus is talking about what has happened to him and his work on the cross and then his resurrection. But verse 47 and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So what does He say should happen? Or some translations say must happen? That forgiveness and repentance of sins should be proclaimed. That it should be preached. That we are witnesses to that. 
and it should go to all nations. 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Keep your finger there. Turn over to Acts 1.8. Luke and Acts are written by, by, both by Luke. They're sort of two vo- it's a two-volume set. And so Acts 1.8, we often use for the mission of the church, but it's a continuation of this Luke passage. Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, in all Judea, spreading out from there, and Samaria, spreading out farther, and to the end of the earth. Pretty much covers it. And so Jesus in Luke 24 and Acts 1.8 says you're to proclaim the Gospel to a lost world. Start where you are and then through the power of God spread from there through the Holy Spirit. So in Matthew, we see make disciples by winning people to Christ, training them how to walk with Christ. In Luke and Acts, we see share the good news of the Gospel with the world. John 20, 21. Let's look at, look at this verse. Another one of Jesus' final sayings. This one's a, not quite when He's leaving, but close to when He's a, about to ascend into heaven. John twenty twenty one. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. Just think about that for a minute. Jesus says, As the Father sent Me, I am sending you. He's talking to His disciples here and then by extension, His future disciples. So we have to ask, well, what was Jesus' mission? And we can just go all through the Gospels and all through God's Word to see that. Let me just read a couple verses. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world. This one sound familiar? It's Jesus' mission. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So as we look at these, these commissions by Jesus, His words to the church His, that He leaves the church with, we come to the mission of the church. It's to continue Christ's work by discipling a lost world for Him to His glory to continue Christ's work by discipling a lost world for Him to His glory. That's why the church was made. That's why you and I are sitting here today. That is an overarching mission that God ha- and task that God has given to His church. Now, now, one word of explanation. An overarching mission that God has given to the church does not mean that other things are bad to do. It doesn't mean that we don't have to get together and love one another. It doesn't mean that, that we don't worship. But all those things contribute to the task of discipling one another and of reaching a lost world for Christ. Just a, a couple of, of, of other illustrations that we'll go through quickly, but you can go back and look at. Think of some of the images that are used to represent the church. This isn't just found in Jesus' last words or His, his commissions. But one of the images that we see in Matthew 5, 14-16 is that of being a light or a lampstand. We're to be lampstands of light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine to others, so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We saw that when we studied the seven churches. Do you remember the image that was used for the church in the seven churches in Revelation? A lampstand. And that wasn't by accident, but a church is to be a lampstand that shines the light of Christ to a lost and dying world. Another image that we have throughout the New Testament for the church, a a picture of the church, is that we are Christ's body. He is the head and we are His body. In Colossians 1.18, and He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And jumping to verse 20, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. See, here's the deal. If we are the body and Christ is the head, what should the body be concerned with? What the head wants it to do, right? It's not often. You know, sometimes my body doesn't do what my head says to do. Well, that's happening more and more. But... Um, it's not often that your head says, I'm going to go to work, and your body says, I'm going to sleep in, and that you actually do separate things, right? It's silly. It doesn't happen. With our head, we direct the body. And in the same way, Christ is the head of the church. And so what's important to Him is to be important to us. And so when we consider ourselves the body of Christ, that means we're to be about what the head's about. And he's about reconciling all things to himself, making peace by his blood on the cross. Another illustration is a temple and a priesthood. But you are a chosen race in 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Why did God make us a people, a group, a church, to proclaim Him in a dark world. D there, where the ambassadors are used for people of God and His church. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, Paul talks about that God has made us ambassadors of His message. You know, we could go on with images that we're called to be salt, that we're called to be God's family, so we should be about the Father's work. But all of those come together to what I believe is the overarching mission of the church to make disciples. To continue Christ's work by discipling a lost world for Him to His glory. Just for fun, I put in your notes a couple of our statements as a church. And they reflect this. They reflect this central purpose of the church. In the mission of the church, we say that that we're to develop, that we want to develop a unique family-oriented church in central Orange County that reflects God's glory as lives are being transformed into Christ's likeness. Do you know what that is? Discipleship. That's discipleship. Growing to be more like Christ. In our vision statement that um, then came after that mission statement, building Christ-focused families that disciple their community for Him. We tried to catch that same thing. The that there is important because it's why we do what we do. Why do we work to build strong families? Why do we work to be a strong family? 
that we can disciple our communities for Christ. And that discipleship starts at salvation all the way through growing with Christ. And I know I'm spending a little bit of time on this, but here's the deal. If we can't agree on what the church should be about, then we won't be able to accomplish what the church should be about. If we all have different visions of where we should go as a church and what we should do and what should be important, then those visions are going to compete and distract and we'll end up doing nothing for God. It is so important that we understand why God created the church and what God wants His church to do. I put in there a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He talks about the mission of the church. It's sort of a, an expanded, detailed version of that we're to, to disciple our communities, that we're um, discipling a lost world for Him. And I'll just read this. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the Gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey His commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. I encourage you to read that a few times this week. Digest it. See, that is why God created His church. Now, now this, is, this is where it gets interesting because we already said the church is made up of believers. The gathering, especially Sunday mornings, is to be a gathering for believers. That is our target on Sunday mornings, unashamedly. This is a chance we have to come together and worship. But the picture here is, is we come together and worship and we are being discipled so that we can go out and be God's church and accomplish His purposes outside these walls. That makes sense? It's a chance for us to come back to headquarters. Remind ourselves what the commander says and then go do it. Why do I love the church? Because we've been given mission. We've been given significance. A chance to change the world because we are about God's work and not our own. It's who we are. And I pray that that's our heart at Village. Is to disciple a lost world for Christ. We can put it in our statements all we want. We can talk about it all we want, but until it becomes important to us, it won't infiltrate into what we do. Let's be about the Father's business. So that's point number one of seven. But I said that was going to be half the sermon right there. So um, I want to go through the other six. Why I love the church. Second one, I love Christ. And he loves his bride, the church. Catch where I'm going with this? I love Christ, and He loves His church. And so if I love Him, I love the things He loves. We read the Ephesians 5.25 passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Look at how much He loves the church. He gave Himself up for her. He voluntarily came to earth to be born as a little helpless baby and then live life here in this world only to be crucified and tortured and die for our sins, taking our sins on Himself. Can you get a better example of love? 
Husbands and wives, can you get a better example of sacrificing everything for each other? That's what Christ did for the church. That's how much He loves the church. He loves the church so much that we, in Revelation 19 and in other places, He calls the church His bride. And so think about this for a minute. You and I, as the church, are the bride of Christ. What would happen... Let's see, Justin's not here this morning. Celeste is. Sorry, Celeste. You guys are engaged, looking forward to marriage, right? What would happen if at your wedding... And please, I hope I know you well enough to do this. I hope, okay. (laughs) What if at your wedding, someone else in the church went up to Justin and said, man, your new bride, she is ugly. She's a jerk. I don't even see why you married her. What would Justin do that day? What would you, yeah, uh, punch? Men, what would you do? Oh, don't you say that about my wife. Don't you say that about my bride. Today is a day that I am taking her into myself and we are becoming one. And yeah, there might be fists. There might be other things. And rightfully so. So no, no, and... and we're okay? Okay. Because <laughs> I am not saying that. <laughs> but what an illustration. We all think you would be an idiot to go say that to Justin because it's totally not true and, and you just don't do that. So what happens when we complain about the church? And we say the church is ugly. And the church is full of sinners. Well, we are. Let's just own that. And praise God for His grace. That's that's why I say I love Christ because He loves His bride. And His love for His bride gives His bride worth. And gives His bride beauty. He bought us. He brought us into the church with His very blood. That's worth loving. I love Christ because He loves His bride, the church. And I love Christ and He loves His bride, so I love the church. Sorry. Third reason I love God's church. The church is true family, real community. It's about the people. And family is bonded together, and quite frankly, we're bonded together warts and all. Imperfections at all and all. Anyone here have a perfect family? Are you sure? Oh, come on. We try to look that way on Sundays, right? No, we don't have perfect families. Do you still love your family? Absolutely. And one of the reasons I I love the church, God's church, is because this is family. And God made us family. And this isn't just a group that has some interests together. This is a group that shares the most important thing in life in common. We are a group of people that have all been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And so you've heard me say this. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. And if we're family, and God says we are, then we're called to love one another. We're called to love the church. A couple verses there. One, one of the words you see throughout the New Testament for church is household. 1 Timothy 3.15 If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Men and women, we're the household of God. 
which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In Matthew 12, 49 and 50, some, people, some, of, some of Jesus' immediate family came to him and said, you know what, you're a little nuts, Jesus. We really think you should stop teaching and, and really get off this whole Messiah kick. You're, you're a little crazy. I, I'm, I'm interpreting a little bit there. And Jesus answered them this way. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so like Sarah said when we talked about why, why we love the church, why we love God's church, it's because we're family. And, and we have the deepest reason to be family. You know, we, you've heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water. Well, we're family by blood. It's just not our blood. It's Christ's blood. And that means something. And so I love coming here. I love being with you. Because you're my brothers. You're my sisters. My sons, my daughters, my mothers, my fathers. We're family. And for some of you that grew up in good families, this makes a lot of sense. And you're like, yeah, preach it. Some of you I know grew grew up in broken families. And it's hard to even think of this concept of the church as a family because that doesn't bring any good memories to you. doesn't bring any good ideas to you. But this is a place where the idea of family can be redeemed. And we can show what it means to be a family of God. This is true family. This is real community. Are we always like that? No. Should we strive to be? Yes. Should we love each other in spite of the warts? Yes. We're to live life together. To weep with those who weep. To laugh and rejoice with those who rejoice. It can be so easy, like I said, to be critical. But I challenge you to intentionally avoid that and to love the family that God has given you. Fourth reason why I love God's church. This is a place of real encouragement. A place of real encouragement. A place of refreshing and healing. That's what we are to be. That's what we are called to be. What God intended for His church. And I have seen that over and over again. I love even what Paul said as Paul is talking to the church in Romans 15.32. He says, So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. Isn't that a great description of the church? He's, he's writing to the church. He says, I want to come be with you because you refresh me. That's what church should be. A place of encouraging one another, of building up one another, of refreshing. I can't count how many times that I've come here on Sunday morning and just had someone give me a hug and say, I'm praying for you. I care about you. The, the outpouring of prayers and, and love, even with sickness and some of the things in the last month is, is trying to heal and get better. It's God's family refreshing and encouraging. I see that over and over. Whenever anyone in the congregation has a need or something happens, the rest of the congregation is like, and, and it, it, it's like glue all around them, encouraging them and supporting them. Are we perfect at it? No. 
But man, I've seen God use that in mighty ways in this church. I encourage you to keep that up. It's a place of refreshment. Fifth reason why I love God's church is we get to worship the Almighty God together. And it's a taste of heaven. Worshiping the Almighty God together is a taste of heaven. As I think through these things, I think through, well, could I do these things alone? What is different about being part of the church? And worship is one of those things that is so different. When we are together and raising 200 voices to praise and say, Jesus, you are all to me. Jesus, you have, you have paid it all. Man, that does something for my soul that nothing else does. It encourages my faith to see you singing. And I pray it encourages yours to see me singing. To see God's people singing to Him, bringing glory to Him when we are all on the same path and the same journey toward Christ's likeness, there is nothing like it. It's what God instructs us. In Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We know even in Revelation, we get to do this for all eternity. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And it is incredible to come worship together. You know one of the incredible things is? We're all different. And we all come to worship with different preferences and different styles and and my, my heart breaks when I see churches and when I say people say, well, it all has to be how I like it. It needs to be the songs I like. It needs to be what I want in worship. It's not even the right question. It should be, does this glorify God? But I love seeing the variety. I love singing songs that other people worship to that, that maybe I don't know. And so I, I, I love singing you know, some of you really enjoy Chris Tomlin's style of songs. I love singing those together and watching you worship. Many of us like hymns, and I love worshiping together with hymns. Some of you like more the Hillsong style, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. If you do, then you know what I'm saying. Um, some of you like the current Hillsong style, and it's very different, and I love watching you worship. I even like those of you that like the 70s and 80s songs. And, and love watching you. Why? Because we're a diverse body of Christ. And if we're a family, and if we're a diverse body of Christ, and if we really believe Paul in Philippians 2 when he says, put one another before yourselves, then we should embrace that diversity instead of getting angry at it. Because it's a picture of the body of Christ working the way the body of Christ was intended to work. And the question is always, does this bring glory to God? Not, does this bring glory to me? I love worshiping together. This is why we do a variety of different styles on Sunday morning. And I know I hear a lot of times, well, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just do this? It's because, man, even in Ephesians, Paul gives three different styles to, to, to worship to. That variety is what teaches us to go beyond ourselves and to love one another. And it is incredible and it is special. Two more things. Why I love God's church. The church is the best place to grow spiritually and be discipled. 
the church is the best place to grow spiritually and be discipled. We're to be growing together, to be learning together. In Colossians 3.16, we read, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay, you've seen this work, and this is why I, I strongly encourage you to get involved in a Sunday school class, get involved in a community group. Those are settings where that can happen even more. Because what happens is you start interacting with God's Word and talking about God's Word together and, and instructing each other. In the elder meetings, we always start with a verse. And, and Phil is our chairman, and he just puts a verse out there, and he doesn't even give any commentary right up front. So we're not quite sure where he's going with it. And you're just hoping you get it right. No, um, and, and we just go around and say, well, what do you see in this verse? And, and each of the men share what they see and what God puts on their heart. And it is incredible because every one of the men comes from different angles. And, and we go out of that verse with a much richer meaning and much richer understanding of God's Word. We've grown together because we've been willing to be a body and be a group. And talk about God's Word. That's why you need to be in a Sunday school class or a community group. To be talking about God's Word. To be growing together. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You know, Included in this discipling one another is the accountability. Kristen, I think you mentioned accountability. Yeah, that's part of what I love about the church too. Because that's where we grow spiritually and are discipled. It's not the same alone. It's not the same without the body of Christ. We need the body. We just don't always believe we need the body. Finally, number seven, and I need to to wrap up. I love God's church because together we can display the gospel better than we can alone. Together we can display the gospel better than we can alone. This comes back to the mission of the church. Jesus said to His disciples, they will know you are Christians by your love, if you love one another. And so how we treat each other, how we interact with each other, is essential to understanding the Gospel. As we interact with each other's warts, you know, Jack, you mentioned an example of God's grace. And as we show forgiveness to each other and love to each other in spite of our imperfections and our warts, We are showing Christ to a lost world and what Christ can do. Even in communion, which we want to celebrate now together as God's church, it's one of those things that illustrates our our community together, relying on the blood of Christ, the work of Christ. But even there, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as we do this together, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Proclaiming meaning an outward testimony of the truth of God's Word. And so we want to come and end talking about the church that God created and why we should love it by as a church coming together and celebrating His work to create the church. His work on the cross to forgive sins. Let's pray together and thank God for His work. Lord God, our Father, I am amazed and astounded at your love for us. That you would love the church so much to give everything to save us. To bring us together. 
So Lord, we remember Your work on the cross. We remember through the bread Your body that was broken. Lord, we remember through the juice Your blood that was spilt in our place as forgiveness for our sins. And Lord, may we proclaim You and remember You as we take these elements. May we be saying that we are a community that You have created that is going to be about Your purposes, which this illustrates. Lord, draw us close to You. Lord, I pray if anyone here is is not saved or, or their hearts aren't right with You, that right now, this very moment, they would trust You with their lives or they would ask forgiveness and confess their sins and repent. Because Lord, we know we're to come to this table with pure hearts with hearts ready to serve You, to glorify You, to worship You. Thank You for Your sacrifice. In Jesus' name.